Hello, and thank you so much for listening to the Crisis of Faith podcast today. Um, I'm Drew. In just a few moments, I'll be joined by my friend since oh, since we were in a race to see who could grow hair in our armpits first in the seventh grade, Joe. Uh, and what we're actually doing today, we're going to talk about the Bible. And in order to do that, we're taking questions from you, our listeners. We had... Uh, we've been asking for the last couple of weeks for you to send us some questions, and we got several. We have three uh, people who actually called and left messages uh, on our on crisisoffaithpodcast.com. So we're going to use those. You're going to get to hear those questions from those people, and we're going to try to respond to them to close out this series of talks on the Bible. I'm sure this is a subject we'll be revisiting at some point in the future, but I'm so glad you're catching this really special episode. This is going to be a lot of fun. And here comes a jingle. Preacher in the Bible, a letter God wrote with his own hand. Is it a recipe for being holy? Is it the roadmap to heaven? Preacher, can you help me find the meaning of everything in this book? I'll give you three episodes to cover all you should know from this 10,000-year collection of writings and Ancient languages telling parts of stories written by lots of different people who didn't know they would all be co-authors and never got any royalty check. Joe is rolling on his end. Uh, but he hasn't called yet. Maybe I should tell him that I'm rolling too. Come on, Joe. You gonna call? Joe, you gonna call? I'll cut all this out. I'll get rid of this. I won't put people through the sitting and... Shaking. <clears throat> all things are shaking, Joe. It's a global pandemic. International unrest. I heard something about that. Your parents don't know about that? <laughs> Probably not. Is that what you said? <laughs> I said I, I heard something about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were thinking, I gotta call my parents. <laughs> Wait a second. There's international unrest? Oh, get me the landline. <laughs> uh, my little kickstand on my phone is starting to give out. If I, if I tilt it back too much, it just flops over. So you might not get to see the whole top of my head. The top of my what head is getting—it's getting higher and higher. As my COVID nineteen do. <laughs> I mean, look at this. Yeah, you're really going at it. Have you—you you haven't gotten a haircut since pre-March? Uh, I got a little trim um, around March. It was around Easter. Somebody came over to the house uh, who's a friend and like trimmed it up a bit out on our front porch. All right. That was it. I feel like that's... 
like you're showing off a little bit if you're like, oh, no, I didn't. But then you got to trim. Like if you got it, why didn't you just buzz it then? Oh, well, because I wanted to grow it out. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted so to use. So you're like COVID hair, but you've been doing it. I wanted anyway. to use COVID-19 as an opportunity. I wanted to capitalize <laughs> on yeah. the global pandemic that's on killing millions. Of, yeah. <laughs> to finally grow out my hair one time. Um, longer than my mom would ever let me. Sure. Because she can't say anything now. No. Global pandemic, mom. I'm saving lives. This hair saves lives. It's actually what my shirt says. The listener can't read that, but my <laughs> shirt said, this hair saves lives. <laughs> oh, man. So, how's your morning going? It's good. Um... So I'm, I'm getting married in, what is today, two days. Actually, when the listeners hear this, I will already be married. Man. Well, assuming everybody says yes. Well, that's true. Yep. Are you performing it yourself? No. Since you're a uh, minister of the gospel. <laughs> By the power so, vested in me. <laughs> the really interesting. So. You know, okay, it's a very 2020 kind of wedding, right? Yep. Kept getting pared down. You know, it is it is now the guest list includes my parents and my sister and Gwendolyn's parents and her brother and his fiance mm-hmm. and my niece um, and, and my three kids. And that's it. That's the whole guest list. And we're going to be outside in <laughs> December. Ooh. Um, that wasn't the plan initially, but now, like, with cases spiking, it just keeps getting... So it's going to be outside. We're all going to be masked, of course, and uh, we're <laughs> making everybody get a test as they're coming in. We're trying to be safe. Um, but... we. <laughs> so, and it's very, you know, it's just, like, super informal. I'm wearing jeans yep. uh, to this wedding. But we have... Um, my friend Justin is marrying us in Pennsylvania. This is uh, nobody cares about this. <laughs> Pennsylvania is uh, was founded by Quakers, right? And so uh, it's a Quaker. Um, it's always been a, a Quaker principle to have freedom of religion, of all sorts of religion. And so uh, Pennsylvania is one of the only states in the United States where you can get a self-uniting marriage license. So I literally huh. could perform it myself. Uh, we have a self-united marriage license, but my friend Justin is going to do the liturgy, and we this super informal wedding. We're all wearing jeans. The reception is a picnic basket that you can take to your car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's fantastic. That's fantastic. <laughs> Joe and Gwendolyn invite you <laughs> to a very special reception somewhere away from them. <laughs> Well, we're going to pack the picnic basket, so, you know, at least for... <laughs> it's not like a BYOB kind of thing. Uh, that makes it even better. Joe and Gwendolyn, I've prepared for you. I've Just take this gift. and get the now fuck out go. of here. Now go. Now <laughs> go. Yeah. That's that's our plan. Leave and But we're doing... So, like, <laughs> super, super informal in every way possible, except we have... Um, for our, our our wedding liturgy is is the from the 1549 book of common prayer which is on like familiar. very on brand for us yeah well i'll just read you um 
a, a couple of lines here. Wait, Dearly will we be married friends. after we after you read this to me? Well, you I'm not in Pennsylvania. You just don't say the parts. Don't say the okay. don't say it's I will. Um, but don't say that. I will I not just become it, your so You definitely I'll, can't say it. I'm not going to become your legal property based on your <laughs> outdated Quaker laws. <laughs> okay, here you go. You ready? Dearly beloved friends, we are gathered together here in the sight of God to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. Which is an honorable... Mm, this is weird. Is this all part of it? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me let me start over. I'm glad we're doing so this we're, here. Yeah. We, we just need right. to edit it. <laughs> get it right. <laughs> no, I, I just skipped a line. It's my fault. The, the liturgy's fine. So we're, we're gathered together to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted of God in paradise in the time of man's innocence, signifying unto us the mystical union that is betwixt Christ and his church. And is... <laughs> And is commanded of, commended of St. Paul to be honorable among all men and therefore is not to be enterprised or taken in hand unadvisedly, lightly, or wantonly. No wanton marriage. To satisfy men's carnal lusts and appetites like brute beasts that have no understanding, but reverently, discreetly, advisedly, soberly, and in the fear of God, duly considering the causes <laughs> for nice. which matrimony was ordained. That is, that's our, <laughs> it's very on brand that's, for two that's, that's theologians. Yeah. <laughs> I love so I'm it. really excited about that. Yeah, that's pretty um, great. We did take out all of the obedience language. But that was it. We left, we left the brute beasts. Yeah. You can't get married just because you want to bone like brute beasts. That's... <laughs> That's against the 1549 Book of Common Prayer um, liturgy. So I, I love the idea. I've actually performed for several of them. I'm actually scheduled to perform for a couple more of them of the uh, the micro-wedding, which it sounds like you know, you're know you not using the verbiage, but maybe it's just because you didn't know it existed. I um, am now. Yeah. But uh, I've, I've had to explain to several people what a micro-wedding is, and... Uh, and my explanation, <laughs> yeah, well, my <laughs> explanation now is it's like a wedding where you offend most of the people you know. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, well, you know, a normal wedding is, is a lo- there's a lot more passive aggression involved. There's like table sure. charts and all of that different. This is just more sort of blatant aggression, like... You're invited <laughs> to send us something uh, and not show up. Well, okay. So the good thing Where is, are you registered? Amazon? I'm not. I'm not registered. Um, that's right. the thing. Well, then, cool. I guess I'll just make you a gift. <laughs> I love it when there's no registry because then I get to hand make a gift. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. A 2020 wedding is really good for two people who are both on their second second marriage. Yeah. Because it's like. It's a little bit embarrassing to be like, okay, Aunt Nancy, I know that a few years ago I invited you out to this big party and you bought me a blender. Yeah. Uh, well, that didn't work out, so yeah, yeah. we're going to just run that again, <laughs> if you don't mind. Like, So it's nice. It turns just, out I don't, didn't know a whole lot about my anybody. life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Remember whenever so I wasn't old enough. Is great for second marriages. <laughs> Remember whenever I was so young that I was deemed unworthy by my government to purchase champagne. <laughs> 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 but totally okay to make a decision <laughs> right. to live with one person for the rest of my life. Yeah. That we're cool with. Um, well, congratulations, Joe. I uh, yeah, the fifty percent divorce rate is the same, the same sort of thing as the student loan crisis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just we're not equipped to make decisions of yeah. that. Well, I mean, I think you I'm I'm sure you've heard the most recent statistics about wedding about marriage that um it's divorce rates are trending way way down um in uh current gener- which I mean, it, you know, the the verdict is still out too, married. like but basically it's because nobody's getting married or they're not getting married until they're like 40. Um Right. Yeah, it's and uh that's uh lessons learned. Thanks boomer parents. <laughs> Well, here we are at uh, the close, maybe, of a, of a series of talks. We don't know for sure if this is going to end up being one the or two The end of an episodes. era. The end of an era. Um, a short one. A three-episode <laughs> series that we've done talking about the Bible. Um, did you have it anything else that you... It should have been four. It should have been four. you lost one. So yeah. There was yeah. that. I lost one. I also lost some, uh, some real hits. Some songs that I had re- written and recorded that uh, I just don't I don't know at all. I don't even know what they were. I just know there were things there that aren't there anymore. One of them was a podcast that someone asked me for later. No one asks me for my songs later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah, files right. that I go back to kind of like anyone's <laughs> journal and writings that you're like, <laughs> seems like I didn't go for that long without doing anything, but I can't remember what it did, so maybe it didn't matter. Um but yeah, we're we're gonna close that out today. Um, before we do that, though, was there news or anything interesting that you wanted to? to I know we had talked about a couple of different um, articles, crazy things going on in the world of religion news. Oh uh, yeah, I feel like well, there I was also, but I can't remember what it was. Maybe even more importantly, um, you started watching Big Mouth. This past I week. did start watching Big, Big Mouth. That <laughs> show is raunchy. <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> it's so good. It's so <laughs> problematic and like offensive in every conceivable <laughs> way. My daughter asked me the other day. She said, "Dad, do you watch Big Mouth?" Because she would just see on Netflix there's a cartoon image, yeah. and I don't even know what the the thumbnail changes all the time. It's never good. She's like, "Do you watch Big <laughs> Mouth?" And I, you know, she's seven years old. I was like, "Well, I've." I've listened to it. Like I put it on and listened to it because kid, their their uncle, my brother, because kid said that it was kind of funny, and so I yeah. And I said, but it's not a nice show, and and so she just like nods and says, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> I really and I I didn't do this, but I have before. Tell her that it's scary. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which maybe sure. it would be to her, but if she knows that it's scary, then she'll have no interest in it whatsoever. Um. Just saying that it's there bad. is a monster, a couple of monsters in it. I mean, it is scary. It really, it really conjures up some things <laughs> from my past. <laughs> Maybe we'll. If we you haven't talk- watched the show, it's about puberty. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's 
it's telling. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so we may actually revisit it uh, next year at the start of 2021 whenever we're talking about the Bible and sex, um, talking yeah. about purity culture and shame and guilt and all of these things associated um, with with uh, sex and religion. But, uh, yeah, this is not our either one of our official recommendation to watch Big Mouth. Uh, you're, you're actually... I guess this is the same kind of recommendation that I heard from someone else. They're like, it's terrible, it's raunchy, it's awful, uh, it's kind of funny sometimes, but you'll hate it. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't often have shows pitched to me like that. (laughs) It's pretty funny. I mean, it's pretty funny. At times. Um, All right. Well, let's do the Bible then. We got some questions. So we we have questions... And we've been talking about my wedding. We have the we have a question from the one and only Gwendolyn Jackson, my fiance, my wife. After when you hear this, no way. All right. Yeah. Well, let's play back that question. See what she wants to know. I should just say before you play the question. Yeah. I didn't ask her. It wasn't like oh we don't have enough questions. Let's get uh, Joe's fiance. No, like she just wanted. She, it was, this yeah. was a genuine question she had. She's contributed a few things to the podcast. Um, she doesn't listen. Early on, podcast. she let us know that if we didn't get decent microphones, <laughs> that she wouldn't listen. So we both bought nice microphones, and now apparently <laughs> right. she doesn't listen. Uh, but she right. did catch a little right. bit of, of what's going on in this series enough to know that we're talking about the Bible, and she was like, well, let me uh, let me throw something in there. So Well, I, n- she didn't even know that. She, oh. she said, I have a question for the Crisis of Faith podcast, and I said, oh... Is it about the Bible? Because we have a question and answer, question and response so episode coming up about the Bible. She hasn't even listened to the series. She hasn't listened to the, she hasn't listened to the podcast at all. Oh, Gwenny J. <laughs> but she just, um, yeah, she just had a question, and I said, "Is it about the Bible?" She was like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> so. All right. Well, let's see. Uh, let's play it. Hi, Joe and Drew. I have a question regarding the teachings of Jesus. For the most part, Jesus is very consistent in his teachings, emphasizing the spirit of the law, caring for the poor, and so on. But there are a couple outliers that are bothersome, namely Jesus's encounter with a Syrophoenician woman in which he insults her excessively in the parable of the shrewd manager. My question is this, what if Jesus was just wrong about these things? Is that a possibility? And what does that do to a belief in his divinity? Oh, boy, Joe. <laughs> this is your wife. Almost. Questioning the teachings and words of Jesus. Yeah. Is there anything in your energy about unequally yoking yourself? Well, there is a there is something about, <laughs> you know, speak now or forever hold your peace. Yeah. So I'm glad that we've heard this question. Yeah. This is fantastic. This is a really, really good question. Uh, a question that is not totally new to me. I I have considered the same exact thing uh, about... I'm a big, big fan of the teachings of Jesus. I'm a much bigger fan of Jesus than I am of the Bible. Um, some people don't understand that. They think those two things are one and the same. They are not. Uh, the Bible is just, you know, probably the best document we have to get to know Jesus of Nazareth it doesn't necessarily reflect all of his teachings but to actually call into question well what if he's wrong about some stuff and what do we do with these 
the two moments that she names in particular are two moments that I did we we should maybe say because she yeah she just kind of like mentioned those stories yeah do you want to maybe maybe the reader doesn't know listener doesn't know so the Syrophoenician woman is the <clears throat> like the story where Jesus calls a woman a dog remember yep uh she she comes to him and asks for I don't remember what it is healing for her daughter or her child or something and um Jesus says and, that that the Jews go first yeah something right like that yeah yeah I don't give uh, I like you don't give the the food that you prepared for the children to the dogs right meaning you you know came came to the Jews not to the Gentiles and she fully and, embraces that her response is like well yeah of course not I'm not asking that you give me the food that the Jewish people are supposed to get first I'm just saying even the dogs get to catch scraps whenever they fall down and Jesus is telling yeah. this whole thing um yeah yeah, so that's like I mean, it's it sounds like an insult in our world where we love our dogs, right? <laughs> where we have pet dogs that we think are sweet. It still sounds like a an egregious insult to say yeah. that someone is like a dog. Like imagine in the ancient world where the well, only also dogs maybe you know because are just like don't... mangy. Yeah, but also like you don't give a golden doodle table scraps either. So this is offensive on both ends. Like we <laughs> love right. our dogs, and right. and like wait, you're just gonna give them table food? Do you know what that's gonna do to their digestive tract? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so go on. What were you saying? Well, I don't. I mean, it's just it is. It's terrible. It's a it's a really shitty thing for Jesus to say. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is is this just like weird parable, uh, where I think it's only in Luke. Uh, it's in Luke 16, and this this guy works for like this guy gets basically caught in um, some kind of cheating scheme, embezzlement scheme, or whatever, and he's called to the car, but he's getting ready to get fired. And yeah. so, because he's getting ready to get fired, he calls in all of his boss's clients and says, "Hey." Whatever your debt is that you owe, I'm cutting 50% off of it. I'm cutting 75% off of it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he just, like, steals his his boss's money, basically cutting down the debts of these people. And then his boss finds out about that and goes, oh, yeah, that was pretty smart. And, <laughs> and, and Jesus – and so, like, that, the parable's weird AF anyway. But the, it's one of the few parables that Jesus, like, says this is what it's about. And he, he says, yeah, so use money dishonestly to make friends yeah. because you'll need them later. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's the, it's a weird parable. Yeah, do whatever it takes. Um, yeah, so I, I have some responses and some thoughts on both of these things. Um, yeah, go ahead. Kind of separately, but do you have something that you'd want to say first or... Well, I want to hear what you have to say okay. about the, those two stories. Well, let, let's talk about the... the the first one, the Syrophoenician, uh, am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, I have heard this addressed a couple of different ways. I'm not necessarily going to, this isn't my opinion as much as it's kind of like, all right, this is how I've heard this talked about before. Um, one of the big things is a lot of people would, would kind of apologize for the way that this sounds initially by saying, you got to understand 
the culture that Jesus exists in. You got to understand the audience of the people sitting around the table with Jesus while this happens. You got to understand that everything Jesus does um, is a, even for us, whenever it looks like leaps back into time or, or it looks like racism, looks like whatever, it is a giant leap forward for these people. Maybe not forward all the way to like, this is the perfect way to actually interact with people from a different race or a different whatever than you. It's still a leap forward to say, you know what? Yeah, you can't have what's first, but maybe you can have some of the scraps. Maybe maybe we will. So I've heard it addressed as sort of saying like, well, Jesus is not, Jesus doesn't come on the scene saying all people are created equal in this particular moment as much as he's saying, hey, can we at least take one tiny step forward in humanity and treat this person a little bit better? Like like maybe just a little bit better than a dog. Like maybe think of her. <clears throat> so that's one way that I've heard that addressed. Is that something that you're familiar with at all? Have you heard this talked about in that yeah, light? I, I have. I tend to not. And I know you kind of were like, well, I'm not sure if what I think about this. This isn't where I um, land. I will say it. I will say honestly, yeah. this is not how, what I do with that passage, but it is. Yeah. I don't find I that compelling yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, because, um, so there's a Jewish new Testament scholar named Amy Jill Levine, who is really, um, insistent on this. And I think it's a great point that a lot of particularly progressive, like liberal Christians will say things like that a lot where they go, oh, Jesus was really woke about women or about race or about whatever. Um, and she's like, well, not really. <laughs> like, yeah. if you read other rabbis from his time, Jesus was kind of middle of the road. Like, he was maybe a little lefty on these things and he was maybe a little more conservative on these. And, like, he's not he's not the first person to ever talk to a woman in right. public or like and people say this stuff like just having no idea um so i think that's that's one thing and then the other is just a more like philosophical point that like when your grandpa uses the n word it's true that the culture that he grew up in was a little bit different than hours but that doesn't make it not racist right, exactly <laughs> like, exactly it doesn't let him off the hook for that um yeah 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 that's good um so my, my second way of addressing this and this kind of addresses both of the questions and gets very much to the heart of uh, a conversation about the bible what it is and what we're supposed to do with it um i would <laughs> I would remind the listener, um, this is not a response to Gwendolyn because she knows way more about this stuff than I do and has a lot more, um, a, a much deeper understanding of all of this than I ever will. But for all of us, we need to remember these texts are not tape recordings. Uh, <laughs> we don't actually know. We don't actually know what happened there. Uh, I think it's perfectly... Now, this is dangerous, I know, but I think it's perfectly within the realm of um, of what's fair. If we're going to say, hey, the Bible is full of inaccuracies and moments of strangeness, that if we see Jesus behaving in a way 
or speaking in a way that seems to contradict other of his teachings or maybe the massive, the, the main heart of most of his teachings. And then there's this one moment where he seems to contradict that. Or if there's one passage in Luke that seems to contradict most of what Jesus taught, I'm perfectly okay with saying, well, maybe he didn't say that. <laughs> maybe that didn't really happen that way. Maybe this whole story of Jesus saying to a woman that she's basically like a dog, maybe that's something that didn't happen. Now, that's not a very good uh, defense of it. Um, and then there's a third yeah. part of the question that I think we need to address. Like, what does this speak to the divinity of Christ? And does it call into question, like, are we able to trust anything that is said there? Um, so I think it's interesting. It is possible. I mean, it, it, so, okay, there, uh, there are a lot of historians, right, that look at the sayings of Jesus in the Gospels and the actions of Jesus recorded in the Gospels and try to figure out what's historical, like, what, what can we say definitely goes back to Jesus and what was invented by the writers. Um, and th- there's a real science to this that factors in a lot of things like, you know, how many independent sources do we have that attest to this? And does this look like developments in later Christian theology and stuff? But one of the criteria that people use is basically like, is this embarrassing to Jesus? Because if it is, then nobody probably would have made it up. Mm. Um, so in some way, like, I, I, so that I think makes it's sense. probably true that if, if something seems to not fit with the overall, like, overarching trajectory of Jesus's message, then maybe it doesn't quite work. But also, like, why would why somebody would they make put this it? up? Yeah. Um, so, and and there are other examples of this, like, Jesus does get things wrong. You know, Gwendolyn was asking about sort of moral questions. Like, yeah. Jesus seems to be kind of racist with this woman. And Jesus has this weird parable where he's telling this guy to steal to from dishonest, his boss. Yeah. Um, but, like, factually, Jesus, you know, Jesus is an apocalyptic prophet who's... Um, talking about the the coming of God, the return of God to Israel, which will be this great cataclysmic upheaval of the world where the uh, the poor will be called blessed and the rich will be taken down from their thrones as Mary prays, right? Uh, so he's imagining this great cosmic event, and he says in all three, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this generation will not pass away before these things come to pass. This is why Paul later in in Paul's first very first chronological letter, First Thessalonians, includes himself among the people who will be alive at Christ's return. And later, mm-hmm. by the end of his career, he's saying, "Well, no, I won't. You know, I'm not going to be here." Right. Um, but like people are imagining that Jesus was right about this, that this generation won't pass. Well, it turns out he wasn't. Um, and almost all historians, even historians who disbelieve a lot of the stuff, uh, historical material, like is historic. A lot of the stuff in the gospel goes back to Jesus say, yeah, no, this passage is real because nobody would have made that up. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's compelling. No, I, 
I think I would have to uh, I would have to lean into that something I, w- I would have no response I guess to that to say uh, well it's still probably not actually true um, I think you're right I think there's every reason to believe something like this actually happened um, I could see the details being a little muddy um, about the whole experience sure. like what what were what were the dynamics of this conversation um, and also, I would even call into question the actual what what the text does say would seem to indicate that no matter what we hear with Western 2000 year removed ears, we hear racism, we hear something very ugly. The woman herself is pleased with what she hears. Her actual experience in this moment. She at least plays the game. She at least plays along. She she is yeah. not offended in the same ways that we are offended uh at least not on the surface or not in the ways that it actually gets recorded she seems to say okay fine that's that's true that's right or yes i know that's how you people believe maybe that's what she maybe maybe that's the heart of it um i don't know something about her sticking around for it and not it doesn't seem that her response is to you know, pull out a phone and say, well, you want to say that again to my face so I can put this on Reddit or what? <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Like sure. she doesn't seem to have the response um, that I think I would have. Um, and that makes me question the, not the validity of what happens, not the, just makes me question the the depth of my understanding of this interaction. Mm. Makes me look at it a little more and say, <clears throat> well, I don't know. I'm offended for her, but she doesn't seem offended. Um, so I I don't know. Did you have thoughts about the the second part of the question about like what does that say about the, about divinity, the divinity of Jesus? Of Jesus? Uh, not things that I'm prepared to talk about yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I uh, well, this is huge for me. I know that you're you and I have talked off. Um, off microphone about this a little bit and how you know our own crises of faith involve at times questioning what is God who is God what's actually happening in all of this Um, is there anything that you yeah I'll try to think of a response that I am okay with saying at this point I think it's well it's worthwhile to mention here maybe we've already said this that that Gwendolyn, who's my fiance wife, when you hear this, and um, the the questioner here is herself a theologian, so she's going to have thoughts about this that might be different than the ones that I have. Um, but she doesn't have a microphone, so here we go. Uh, and she's probably not I, even going to listen. So <laughs> right. Well, she'll so, have to legally after. Once you ask a question, once she's you your property. Well, no, listen. once she's your property. Oh yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I'm willing to say that Jesus was wrong about the timing of the eschaton. For instance, this generation did pass away before these things came to pass. Um, And I'm willing to say that Jesus was being kind of a racist with this um, Syrophoenician woman. Um, And I think that our Christology demands that we kind of be okay with that Mm. like when we say that that jesus was fully human that's that's the 
the classic Christian Christological doctrine is that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully human. Um, so if Jesus was fully human, like how did Jesus learn to read? Is a question I often ask my uh, like youth group when I talk about this stuff. Like, well, okay, Jesus was probably illiterate is the truth. But imagine Jesus did. How did Jesus learn to cut wood, right? Mm-hmm. In the normal way. By making The mistakes. way that everybody else did. Yeah. yeah, by making mistakes, by having, by having somebody show him. Which means he didn't know at one time how to cut wood. Or he had wrong thoughts about how to do it. Um, and... And every it also means if he's fully human, it means that he lives in a in a particular um, place in life. It means that he had first century thoughts about cosmology, right? That he thought that the yeah. world was flat, um, yeah, and you know had all of the limitations of his own time and place. Well, I and in fact, even the Bible says that, like Luke Luke two fifty two says that. Jesus grew both in stature and in wisdom. Well, you can't yeah. grow in wisdom unless you... Unless you're lacking in wisdom. Lack some to begin with, yeah. right? So, like, to say that Jesus never got anything wrong would yeah. be in direct contradiction of what the Gospels say and also of good Christology. Well, let me So also, it's kind of like... Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say about the apocalyptic stuff because it's just kind of comes to mind the thing that you're saying like he thought or he seemed to prophesy that that things were going to go a certain way he also said not even the son of man knows like at some point he's saying here's what's going to happen and then at another point he's saying that's actually i don't really know this is what i think um because you know maybe it's part of what you're saying here is like part of me taking on human full humanity is that I uh, I was kind of I'm, I'm out of the loop a bit right. on, on yeah. what what the big plan was. I probably knew it before I got here, but now that I'm here, I don't remember anymore. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, that's a, a little bit of a science fiction. Um, left that realm for this one, uh, and now I don't remember some of the ways of that realm, kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I think it like it aligns with a lot of what we've been saying about the Bible in the last couple of episodes, which is. If we're going to say that the Bible is divinely inspired, which, you know, I said I think it is, um, whatever we mean by that, by divine inspiration, we're going to have to be able to deal with the text that we actually have, right? A text that, if you read it carefully, has contradictions and inaccuracies and and some vile and terrible stuff. Yeah. Yeah. we can't like come up with a theory of the Bible and then try to cram the Bible into it. We have to, our, the the way we understand the Bible has to deal with the text we actually have, and I think the same thing could be said. Like whatever we mean by our Christology has to deal with the Jesus that we actually have. Yeah. And so people are looking at this dude and saying, "No, he's he's a dude. He's like, yeah." yeah. So whatever we mean by his full humanity has to has to take that into account that's cool well put um well i want to say i don't want to leave this without saying i i do still believe in the full divinity of 
Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I do actually believe that there was some kind of death and some kind of resurrection, and I do believe that that Jesus is this ambassador from heaven. And I, I you know, I, I hold what I think are most of the the conservative fundamentalist like the basic beliefs that I have had about Jesus when I was 12 years old, I, I still have them. They've, they've kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit, but at this particular moment, I do still land at, well, even if he is growing in wisdom uh, and lacks wisdom in a few moments, I'm, I'm fine with that. I still believe that he is, you know, who he says he is and, and who the Bible seems to indicate that he is. Um, even in light of these things, but I think to not talk about these things because of that would be uh, a terrible, terrible choice. Uh, <laughs> I think we would do a great disservice to the Bible itself, to Jesus um, himself, by not saying, yeah, but there's sometimes that I just think I disagree. Uh, there, there's sometimes that I just think he might have been wrong on it. Um, and that wrestling is very much in the tradition of all of Jewish history so it's, all, it's oh, totally. in the tradition yeah. of all of the scriptures uh, and uh, you know the second we stop asking questions about these things is the second that we create dogma and that we step out of any kind of meaningful interaction with the divine at all uh, whenever you say whatever you say goes um, you're not even doing what God wants uh, if, if the scriptures are correct about what God wants God God likes it when we wrestle with him. God yeah. likes it whenever we stare at the heavens and we say, screw you, God. This is, what have you, what do you think you're doing down here? Um, as God likes to be acknowledged, even if acknowledging God is saying, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the whole, that's the Psalms. I mean, yeah. so much of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, excellent question. Thank you so much. Um Mrs. Joseph Smith. <laughs> Next assuming, question. I'm assuming she would really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next question comes from Amanda. Okay. So way back when, when the person or group of people got together, gathered all the ancient writings and decided to put the Bible together... What did they do with the texts that they deemed unworthy to be part of the official Bible? Surely there were other writings that they decided did not need to be in there. What happened to those? Also, why did they put the Bible together in the first place? What was the purpose of them gathering the writings and compiling them into what we now call the Bible. Cool. Great question. Um, yeah, a couple of questions there. Um, excellent, too. Thank you, Amanda, for sharing these. I think she might be asking several things. She also sent us um, a uh, sort of written version of this um, that went a little more in-depth into what I think she's actually wrestling with, and it's... Uh, it's a great direction for us to go here. Um, so, first thing, what happened to the writings that were deemed unworthy? <laughs> like, what, yeah, the Bible isn't everything that was ever written from, uh, you know, five or six thousand years ago to about two thousand years ago. 
and there was a lot of other stuff written. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. So can I like? Um, I don't. I Start hope that our listeners won't mind this. I feel like Amanda might appreciate it because I read her longer message uh, that had it had those questions that she asked on the air and a couple of more questions, um, which I think are important. Basically, that in order to to say something about what happened to the books that didn't make it into the Bible, uh, we need to say a couple of things maybe about well, how do we have a Bible at all? Yeah. Like, how did how did we get to this point of having a thing? Um, okay, so the response that Joe is going to give here is pretty extensive. We, we almost did and probably could have devoted an entire episode to responding to the question that Amanda is asking. How do we have a Bible? Um, so, for the next 22 minutes, um, Joe is going to explain very extensively the history of how we arrived at having the texts that we do have. If the Bible plays a major role in your life and you don't know this stuff, you probably should. So stick around. If this is not information that interests you very much, then you can skip to one hour and seven minutes into this podcast, 22 minutes from when I stop talking, and you'll miss it all. All right. Because it was like, it's kind of rare in the ancient world, like in uh, in first century Rome, where there are several religions kind of running around, it was pretty weird to have a Bible, <laughs> to have like a a set of writings that you understood as the guideposts for like what to believe and how to live. Um, Romans, you know, for instance, would have mythologies that that we're familiar with, Virgil, and uh, but not it. It wasn't understood that way. It wasn't like a, mm-hmm. a Bible. Judaism is the exception. Uh, Judaism did have some kind of Bible. Um, Although it was different from the, I think we might have talked about this before on the podcast, the the canon of the Tanakh, the, the Jewish Bible, um, was not set in Jesus's day, in Paul's day, um, which is why some Christians, like all Christians, have some version of what we call the Old Testament, which is correlated to the Jewish Bible. Um, Protestants use just the same books that are in in the current canon of the Tanakh because by the time Protestants were around setting up our Bibles, the their canon was already set. Um, but in in Jesus's day it wasn't. And so other Christians who had kind of an earlier run at it have used have, have different amounts of that's why like Catholics have more books than Protestants have. Um in their Old Testament, not in their New Testament. Um, and some Orthodox groups have even more books than the Catholics have. Uh, it's because the, the Jewish canon was still in flux for a while. Um, but all Christians have the same 27 books in the New Testament. So, like, how did that happen? How did we get that list of 27 books? Mm-hmm. Um so there's even in in the New Testament itself there's some sense it, in late books in the New Testament books that were written in the early 2nd century 
um, there's already a sense that some of these writings are becoming known as scripture. So, for instance, First uh, Timothy, First Timothy is a it's attributed to Paul, but we are we know full well that it wasn't written by Paul. Um, it's a second century text, and Paul was writing in the the fifties and sixties. First Timothy was written around one ten or so. Um, and the author of that book is making an argument for why churches should pay their preachers. <laughs> uh, and his argument is First Timothy 5:18 is for the scriptures for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the laborer deserves to be paid. Uh, the muzzling an ox thing is like the, the the ox is pulling the the cart to like hoe the field. He should be able to do like stick his head down and eat some while he's doing it. Yeah. Right. Um, so the preacher is doing the work. You got it. Okay. So he gives these two quotes, right, about the muzzling of the ox and the laborers deserves to be paid. Well, one of those quotes is from the Torah. It's from Deuteronomy twenty-five, uh, which obviously would have been scripture to this person. The other quote is from Luke, uh, Luke ten seven. It's it's a quote from Jesus. So already in First Timothy, there's a sense that Luke is scripture. He's quoting Luke as scripture. Yeah. Um, this is one of the ways, that, by the way, that we know Paul didn't write this text because Luke was written after Paul was he dead. Had it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Another one is in Second Peter, which is probably the latest. Uh, latest thing we have in the New Testament is probably written around 120 um, and in this book the author is when speaking Peter was when Peter would have been about 130 years old yeah about dead okay. definitely <laughs> um, yeah so again it's wrongly attributed to Peter um, and he's the author here is speaking of the letters of Paul and of the letters of Paul, he said, this is 2 Peter 3.16, there are some things in them which are hard to understand, which is true, <laughs> uh, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Hmm. Right? So he, he includes the writings of Paul in whatever his mental list of scriptures is. Um. But even though there's some sense already that early that that people are kind of gathering lists of scriptures, there's not, um, there's no set like the authors of the New Testament didn't have a New Testament. That goes without saying, I imagine. Yeah. But like because leather was really hard to come by, mostly. <laughs> that's right. How would you find um, it? So like Christianity in from from the second century to the fourth century was incredibly diverse. We think of Christianity now as being diverse. We think of like the difference between a like Pentecostal holiness church and a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. But they are so much closer together than were many of the sects of Christianity in the second second to fourth centuries. Like there were Christians in in the third century, for instance, who believed in one God and others believed that there was an Old Testament God and the God of Jesus. And of of those, the latter category, 
Um, some that said that the God of Jesus was the creator of the universe, and others that said that the Old Testament God was the creator, and others that even believed the universe was created by another like evil deity. There were some Christians who thought that Jesus was just a dude, not divine, and some that thought he was divine and not human, and some that thought that there were two separate beings, a human Jesus and a divine Christ. Uh, there were Christians who said that the death of Jesus brought about the salvation of the world, and there were Christians who said that the death of Jesus had nothing to do with salvation, that salvation was about the teachings of Jesus, mm-hmm. and there were some Christians who said Jesus never died. Uh, and they couldn't, like all of these super diverse groups, they couldn't just check their New Testament and and see what the right answer was, because each of these groups had their own like list of sacred books that were affirming what they were teaching. They all had, they each had gospels. They each had acts of, of various kinds. They had epistles, letters um, written. They had apocalypses. So um, one of Amanda's questions is like, why did we get, uh, like why did anybody set out to put together an official list to begin with? Um, I don't have a great answer for that. I, I think in some ways it was inevitable coming from a Jewish tradition where writings were so important. Um, and in some ways it was just, well, I, I think I'll say more about that in a little bit. But um, yeah, we do get lists uh, pretty early on. The very first one, the first list, like written list that we still have um, is called... A, a list of books is called a canon. So we talk about the canon of the New Testament. Um, the first one that we have is called the, the Moratorian Canon. Um, it's named for a French historian who discovered it like in the 18th century. But it was written around 170 CE. And the Moratorian Canon, um, it enumerates four Gospels, the third and fourth of which are Luke and John, but we've lost the first part of the document. So we know that the, the list had four, and we know that Luke and John were two of them. Um, if we assume that Matthew and Mark were the other two, which is like a pretty safe assumption, because the fourfold gospel canon was kind of like, it was early on accepted as basic to, to Christianity. Um, then the Mortarian canon, the first canon we have, lists 22 of the 27 books of our current canon. Um, it excludes Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, and one of the Johannine epistles. We have there are three Johannine epistles in our current New Testament, and the Mortarian canon accepts two of them, but doesn't say which two. <laughs> or John to the English speaking. Yeah. Right. Uh. John, first, second, and third John. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, so it also includes a couple of books that are not in our New Testament. It includes a book called The Wisdom of Solomon and The Apocalypse of Peter. So we have The Apocalypse of John, which we call Revelation. Mm-hmm. They had another one, The Apocalypse of Peter. But the Mortarian canon notes in, in the notes that some people are hesitant about the apocalypse of Peter because they think it might be a forgery, might not really be written by Peter. Uh, and it also recommends a book called The Shepherd of Hermas, 
recommends it for reading, but says that it's not old enough to be included in the canon. Um, and then it lists some rejected well, books. it is now. Right. It could definitely so. be now. So that gives <laughs> us some, um, like, the cool thing about the, the Mortarian canon is it tells us what are the kind of criteria for, well, it's cool because it's our, our oldest canon that we have, but also it tells us, like, how do people decide these things? Yeah. So the, the criteria that he used is uh, it has to be old, <laughs> which is why the Shepherd of Hermes couldn't work. Um, it has to be apostolic. It has to be written by an apostle. Um, so it seems like that was a rule that he applied, but he also um, didn't apply it universally. So right. like Luke, for yeah, instance, Luke is not an apostle, um, but he's a, a companion of Paul. So we're like, eh, we'll take it. Um, but he also, and then he, he rejects some things that are, that he thinks of as forgeries, like First and Second Peter. Um, also why he like waffles about the apocalypse of Peter. Thirdly, it has to have widespread acceptance. This is the other reason why he like waffles about the apocalypse of Peter because people, he's like, some people are unsure about this. I think it's right. I think it's real, but some people are unsure about it. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, it has to be orthodox. It has to like be consistent with what we think to be the teachings of Jesus. Uh, and people pretty much use these four things. It has to be ancient, apostolic. Catholic, meaning universal, and Orthodox, meaning right, um, as kind of the standard bearer. Uh, and, and we get lots of these lists. Uh, from Since the, the Mauritarian canon, um, several were proposed that we are aware of, and there's widespread agreement from the 2nd to the 4th century on the four Gospels, Acts, on 13 letters attributed to Paul, on 1 Peter, and 1 John. And there's really extensive disagreement about everything else. Um, the first time that we get a list with exactly the 27 books that we have in our New Testament, and no more, um, is in the year 367, which is like... If that's a lot earlier that, than I thought. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I was thinking, like, that's really, that's a long time. We're no, talking I was about thinking. 300 years, 330 years after Jesus uh, yeah. before you get, like, I was just thinking it would have been, I was thinking it would have been seven or 800 years before you get any kind of meaningful list, but. Well, there do, I mean, there, there were debates. Yeah. Um, about this for, for not another several hundred years but for decades at least after this list uh, this the that one comes from um, Athanasius who's the bishop of Alexandria Egypt and it was it came in an Easter letter in 376 but it's not like that settled the question there were still debates about it yeah. for for at least decades afterwards but that was just the first time we got a list that looks exactly like the New Testament that you have on your shelf hmm. um, okay so after the canon was kind of set, what happened to the books? That was Amanda's question. What happened to the books that weren't in that didn't like weren't on the list? Um, 
451 degrees. <laughs> There's a lot of fire. scholarly debate about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a lot of debate about, like, what happened. So here's what we know. Um, there was a super important discovery made at um, a town called Nag Hammadi in Egypt in 1945. And what happened was there was this Bedouin miner who was digging for, you know, whatever he was mining for. I don't know. Uh, and he dug up first a human skull and then an old jar and he got this jar and at first he like didn't want to open it because he thought there might be an evil genie in it but then he thought mm, what if there's gold in it i'll take my chances so he knocks it open uh and it turns out to be neither a genie nor gold it's just full of old leather-bound books and so the miner uh he takes the jar home um but not really sure why because didn't think much of it he like we know that they burned some of the books just for like kindling for the fire before they realized that they were they might be worth something um and then just like by happenstance this this miner and his brother become suspects in a murder uh, <laughs> and they've sometime hence realized that maybe these old books that we found and were burning for kindling might be worth something. And so they, they knowing that they're suspects in this murder and that somebody's going to come search their house, they give the jar to the local Coptic priest for safekeeping until the investigation blows over. And the priest's brother realizes what they have on their hands and he sells the documents to a museum. Uh, so anyway, we end up with 52 books in all that were discovered at in this jar in Nakamadi um and they are just it's a treasure trove of early christian writings that we didn't have that are like things that were not in our canon um some of them we have known about since antiquity because they're quoted in our surviving sources but some of them were totally new we had never heard of them uh, until 1945 and these books, they're written in Coptic, which is an Egyptian language, um, and they're written sometime after the year 348, in, as we have them. Uh, we know that because the, <laughs> the leather bindings of the books were strengthened with scrap paper, and some of the scrap paper was receipts from like <laughs> that had dates on it. You were like, I bought some popcorn, and they just used that. Um, so... But we have we have good reason to believe that these texts were just translation Coptic translations of much older Greek texts, Greek texts that were going back to the time that some of the books in the New Testament were being written. Um, okay, so that's what we do know. What we don't know is why were these books buried, which goes to Amanda's question about like what happened to these these other writings. Um, and there's a couple of like scholars debate about this uh one theory is kind of sensational um it's the sort of thing that you'll hear in like the da vinci code and and people real scholars who the author of the da vinci code was reading um that so there is an ancient christian monastery that's just three miles away from this discovery at nag hammadi um and remember that it was in 
It was on Easter of 376 that Athanasius, the bishop of Alexandria in Egypt, wrote this list that has the 27 books of our New Testament. And so one theory is like, well, maybe these books belong to the monastery and the people were feeling the pressure from this bishop to limit their reading to just the approved books. Um, and so they wanted to hide these other books that they had, but they didn't want to burn them because the canon was still in flux and maybe some other bishop, bishop might come along later and have a different opinion and they want to be able to dig up these buried books. Um, so they buried them, and then if that's true, we can assume that that same sort of thing happened uh, in all kinds of other places. And that basically, the, to answer Amanda's question, that the other books that didn't make it into the New Testament were just kind of quashed by this orthodox machine. So that's one theory. Um, on the other hand... What we know of early church history doesn't suggest that early Christian bishops like Athanasius really had the power to do anything like that. Like, he might be a gatekeeper and try to write lists and say, these are the mm -hmm. books that you should read, but nobody has to listen to him. Right. It's not like the bishops right. of medieval Europe who really did have the power of the sword behind them. Um, you know, just because he made these proclamations doesn't mean that we could expect anybody to actually listen we tend to think of early christianity as this like battle between like the mainstream orthodox power and these fringe heretics but they're just in the third and fourth centuries there wasn't a mainstream christianity right um so other other people have thought well yes it was three miles from this monastery but it was also at a grave site right he dug it up next to a human skeleton. Um, and it is super common in the ancient world for people to be buried with their favorite stuff. Especially in Egypt, it's common to be buried with books about the afterlife, right? You've heard of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. This is the sort of thing that we're talking about. So it's really possible that the discovery at Nag Hammadi was not this conspiracy cover-up at all. It, it yeah. could have just been a Christian Gnostic who wanted to be buried with his books. Yeah. And it makes sense that it would be near a monastery. That's where you would go to have to buy texts like this or to have texts like this translated, or maybe it was a monk. Um, and these scholars say, and I, I tend to agree with this, um, that the canon wasn't settled by force, but sort of the way that viral videos go viral on the internet. Like, somebody likes it and so they share it with their friends and some of their friends like it and the more it gets shared the more people see it and the more people see it the more people are going to like it and they're going to share it more and it's just going to keep growing that way right and the 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 way the canon got settled is kind of people people kept liking certain books yeah. and passing them around yep. and the ones that didn't that weren't as well liked kind of just got forgotten to history, especially in a time when we didn't have everything saved to the cloud. Yeah. Um, it's just a super lucky find that this grave site happened to have some of these older texts. Woo! Yeah, you did it. Come on now. Now you know stuff you didn't know before you listen to this podcast today. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just skipped to here and you know nothing that you didn't know before you got here. Either way, 
<laughs> it's going to be quite a day, isn't it? And I think on on that point, I don't want to interrupt you too long here because this is all no, super it. compelling, I'm and I like the, um, I, I like the, the response. But if we just think about, um, thirteen, I think is it thirteen letters of the Apostle Paul. Um, thirteen that are attributed to Paul at yeah. times. And this is a question I've heard over the years, and a question I've had over the years: is like, why does this one person get to contribute that much? And they're mostly kind of small, but but still, it's a lot that you would take thirteen of his. Um, and what you've just said is a pretty good response to that, though. It's a pretty good answer. Is like, why would we keep the writings of Paul? Well, because he was good at it. Be- <laughs> because these <laughs> letters really make pretty good sense. Even when we disagree with him, we know exactly what we're disagreeing with. Like, he had a way of just making it very practical and pragmatic. So the viral video answer to why so much Paul in here really holds water like he would have had a lot of followers on twitter if he were born you know 30 years ago whatever like he was just good at making things making big things uh pragmatic and so to me that that kind of checks out it takes some of the um and it kind of gets to the the way that i wanted to respond to this which was a little more pastorally um we have a tendency, and this is the Crisis of Faith podcast. These are, again, we are a couple of people who are in tremendous conflict with our own faith and our own upbringing and the Bible and Jesus at times. And We have a tendency to assume the worst about everything. We have a tendency to look at a Bible that has been used to manipulate and hurt and damage and, and, and cause wars and um, take rights away from gay people or black people or whatever it's been used by the powers that be for bad things and so then we have a tendency to look back and say well maybe it was compiled in a way that it was actually manipulated so that it would be perfect for those purposes and i would just like to say that maybe (laughs) the powers that be are always going to take the most powerful tool necessary and manipulate it for evil they're always going to take the most um, the most powerful thing they can get their hands on. They're going to take Facebook, which in the grand scheme of things is, is a great idea, is a really beautiful concept to bring the world together. They're going to take it and use it for evil. That's what the powers that be do. Does that make Facebook evil? No. It makes those who have power using the power to manipulate evil. They're going to do the same thing with, you know, is, is Amazon evil? It's like, well, no, Amazon provided us with groceries when we couldn't go anywhere else to get them. Amazon is providing a safer way for people to shop and get the things that they need. Are the people with the most amount of power and the most amount of money using it for evil and manipulative purposes? Of course they are. They are. Um, so when it comes to a question of, like, how is the Bible compiled... I think there is, and I'm not saying that this is present in um, in Amanda's question. It's present in my own uh, narrative of the question. There's a tendency to, to develop conspiracy theories that say, I bet we lost all of the stuff um, that would have made this more helpful or would have made it more mm. good or would have made it more clear. I bet they got rid of that stuff so that they could make it intentionally vague and, and possible to manipulate with. And I would just like to maybe suggest, and maybe this gets me kicked off the Crisis of Faith podcast for good, maybe it was put together in the way it was because the people who put it together and canonized it thought these were the most helpful 
and good and useful writings that were going to be the most helpful for pointing to the way of Jesus. Like maybe that and and did it get used for bad stuff and did Paul's stuff get misunderstood and misinterpreted? Yeah, of course it did. But what if what if the intention, the actual intention of all this, why was this collected? Why was this stuff not used? What if it was because they thought this is the stuff that is going to help the most people? Um, and and maybe we do need to update it a little bit. Maybe we do need a, a recanonization <laughs> process. Maybe we need, was it uh, Augustine that, uh, that talked about, like, hold on to the things that cause you to love God and love people. Yeah. And drop the stuff that doesn't. Like, w right. what if that's what really they were trying to do? And what if it needs done again to some extent? That we're like, well, these passages here make me hate those people. Like, all right, well, let's, first of all, maybe you're reading them wrong. Uh, second of all, if you're reading them right, maybe we just need to get rid of them. Maybe those aren't helpful anymore. Maybe those don't cause us to love God and love people anymore. And this isn't heretic Drew saying, let's rewrite the Bible. This is like... Jesus guy drew saying that's what Jesus said <laughs> right. Jesus when asked like what do you do with the whole Old Testament what do you do with every writing that any of us cling to Jesus says well do the things that make you love God and love people it's like well what about this other stuff over here that yeah don't do that stuff I mean, it's Jesus saying you have heard it said but I say to you why can't we do that anymore I guess is the yeah I may be way off track from the question that was being well, asked, but I was trying to get at the heart of something that I think is being asked there that at least is my heart about it, is this assumption that whatever happened, it happened in a way that made it worse or that the intention was something manipulative because we've seen the intention be manipulative so often. What if it's not? What if it was just people trying to be helpful? Well, I will say, I mean, you can find out for yourself about this. Like, we obviously don't know what books or how many were lost just forever to history um, or are yet to be discovered by some other person digging around in the dirt. Um, but we do know that uh, we, I mean, you can read what we have. <laughs> the Nag Hammadi library, the 52 books um, are now, you know, have been translated and they're, published in a volume edited by Marvin Meyer. Uh, we can put all this in the show notes. Uh, it's called the Nag Hammadi Scriptures. It has those 52 books. Um, there's another volume by Bart Ehrman called Lost Scriptures, which includes some of the Nag Hammadi text and some others uh, that we just know from various sources, um, which is a companion book to his. So the Lost Scriptures is um, just these texts, selections of these texts. Uh, it, but it's a companion to his book, Lost Christianities, um, where he talks about a lot of the the variety of Christianity in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries. Um, and then the most famous book that does something like that is Elaine Pagel's um, book called The Gnostic Gospels, mm -hmm. where she explores a lot of the the text found at Nag Hammadi. Um, Elaine Pagels is one of those that I described as like the sensationalist theory kind of scholar. She she was very much of the opinion that there was a, a massive um, and um, 
coordinated orthodox power play and and then conspiracy uh, but she's a very so I, I disagree with her about the way that worked the way that shook down but um, she's a very important scholar and uh, that's a that's an interesting book um, that discusses some of those but I would just say get the Nakamati scriptures read them yourself we'll put all those in the show notes um, check it out see if you know maybe you find things there that are helpful for you on your way yeah um, excellent question, Amanda. You almost got a whole episode to yourself with those. <laughs> um, but let, let's take on one more question here. This comes from Rachel, and I think it. Uh, I think this question will make for a pretty good place for us to land this conversation. Uh, on a slightly lighter note, um, certainly less dense, um, but also profoundly important uh, to me. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because we didn't talk about how we're going to respond to this. Uh, question, but yeah, let's play Rachel's question. Hi, uh, my name is Rachel, and for the last couple of months, I've been on a journey understanding the Bible and understanding kind of the historical accuracy of the Bible. Why does that matter? What do you do with the uh, violence of the Old Testament? How does that, how do you reconcile that with the God that's revealed in Jesus? And here's my question. As you got, you guys are both parents, And I'm a parent too. I have two little girls. And as they get older, I find myself not wanting to ever read their little illustrated kid Bibles because I just don't know how to introduce the Bible, the violence of the Old Testament, the inherent questions that are going to come up with Noah's Ark and all this other stuff to children. So I would love the perspective. I would love your perspective on that, introducing the Bible to kids. Excellent, excellent question. I recommend, first of all, Evan Almighty. <laughs> Watch the movie Evan Almighty with Is that Steve a serious Carell. recommendation, for real? It's a great movie. <laughs> uh, you know, I love the movie. Uh, it was reviewed terribly and all this stuff, but I, I think, I, think it's I, I like it. I like the ideas. Uh, but, uh, yeah, let's let's get into it. What do we do with... Um, h- how do we... Um, how do we edit <laughs> the Bible for our children? Yeah. It wasn't edited for me. Um, also, me well, it, I mean, it was. Obviously, they didn't, they didn't cover it all. They didn't cover all the ground. But we, we were told, I mean, my, my tradition covered mostly the violent stuff in the Old Testament. You know, David was, David was the king of our faith, not Jesus. Um, <laughs> they loved talking about all the people that David killed um, either with his own hands or with his orders uh, that, and then of course tons of time in, in Exodus um, the, the account of Moses leading the Israelite people and those that God punished and killed when they got in their way and, and Joshua and how Joshua was this great um, military leader and all throughout all of these passages, Genesis, Exodus, um, and then over into uh, Deuteronomy, Joshua, all of all of that space, you have crazy, um, not just the violent battles where people are killed, but also what appear to be direct commands from God to make sure that not one soul walks away from this, from the other side. Make sure you kill all 
of their animals, all of their women, all of their children, um, pillage, murder, win. Um, and so currently I just read those stories to my kids and <laughs> send them yeah. out in the world. It's like, don't be a loser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, man, I love this question. I, I think that um, I'm really interested in it as a parent and also as, you know, we don't talk about this a lot, but I, I work at a church too. I um, am a director of spiritual formation is my title, but I do a lot of work with kids and reading the Bible a lot with kids. And um, is that where you learn all your bad words, Joe? Yeah. They, the, the kids at this church are just hooligans. <laughs> so that's where I get it. Um, no, it's, we do we do some of our worst theology with kids. Mm-hmm. I really think that like, um, and part of it has to do. That's interesting with, that you say that because I'm going to go the other direction. So you go your direction. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, I think that we do some of our worst theology with kids, and I think it has to do in some ways with how we read the Bible to them. Um, we did an episode, <clears throat> and then Drew lost it. But <laughs> we did we did an episode where we talked about the Lord how smote it <laughs> about how we um, read the Bible in different ways throughout our lives, and like as as a kid, Drew and I both kind of read the Bible as little stories with morals, kind of like the Veggie Tales approach to the Bible, right? Yeah, it's a it's a collection of these little stories. Um, like a storybook like Rachel was talking about and they they all have a moral to them so David slew Goliath and what you're supposed to know is that even though you're little if you trust God you can kill people too um, and that's like that's, <laughs> that's the, moral the moral of the story I was given but yeah um, I mean you can you kill people that are bigger than you that's the thing yeah um, so like it's in fact, it is, I'm, I'm saying we do our worst theology with the kids, but um, it's the same thing that we do. We do it kind of on a macro scale uh, when, when preachers are always wanting to do things to apply the Bible to your life, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they read, read whatever the little snippet is and then find the moral nugget in it, and we're going to tell you how to apply that to your life. Um, Which is literally how I make a living, so tread <laughs> lightly, sir. Well, I think um, kind of <laughs> preachers do that because they think that it's that that's how you be relevant to people's lives, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but I think there's just nothing more boring than trying to like apply. It's it's kind of like if you um, imagine you really love. Shakespeare, right? You just love the plays of Shakespeare and the poetry and the sonnets, and you just like the words drip off your tongue. And so you go and you take like a community college class on Shakespeare because it just, you just love the stuff, right? Uh, and you're the teacher of the class drones on the whole time about how the plays of Shakespeare are relevant to your life. 
You're yeah. like, shut the fuck up. Read Shakespeare. I want yeah. Shakespeare. Yeah. That's what I came here for. Um, and so, like, making it... The problem is making something relevant, like, saying, here's what the moral is, makes the story about you instead of what the story's actually about. Um, and it's also, like... We also do it because we think it's practical. We think if we if we teach kids this way, it'll help them to not kick their brother and sister, or you know, it'll help them to clean up Instead their toys when hit they're supposed the, to. Hit them in the face with a rock, <laughs> right? Um, it'll help people be holy. But like, have you been on Facebook? Like, when have you ever talked someone into changing their behavior by telling them to behave differently? Yeah, that's not the way the world works. The way that people change their minds and change their behaviors is by being invited into a new kind of story that helps them see the world differently. Yeah, like when I come to go, oh, things are not what I imagined. Well, then it changes me, and that's what like the Bible is not these little stories of morals. The Bible is a story. It's this overarching narrative. But it's not like, okay, so how am I supposed to, like, you know, because we've talked about the, the, the characters in the Bible. We don't do this with any other story, right? You, you read any other novel or you watch any um, drama on TV or even a good comedy with a good narrative arc. You don't w- watch it and get to the end of the episode and say, okay, now what do I need to do with my life differently because of this episode? Yeah. Like, because the characters... Are am usually... I Miyagi-Do or am I Cobra Kai? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> like, well, that's a great example because the char- every one of the characters in that show in Cobra Kai, they're all dicks, all of them. Yeah. And you're Spoiler not going to... Spoiler alert. <laughs> you're not going to um, become a better person by trying to apply to your life what they're doing. But maybe if you watch a show like Cobra Kai, you'll rethink the narrative that you have about good and evil in the world. Yeah. And think that there's more nuance to it than that yeah um that's a pretty good example i mean <laughs> that what what you just said about cobra kai is like well when you watch the show you realize everybody in it's a dick uh the old testament <laughs> like, that's it yeah everybody here is a dick <laughs> the entire old testament there really aren't good guys uh in there yeah. um so let me kind of try to address this from my side uh, of the conversation. My my response maybe differs from yours a little bit. I don't think fundamentally you didn't exactly get into a territory that is contradictory to this. Um, but whenever I think about how I approach this with my kids, um, at this point in particular, I'm not saying this is the right way to do it, and I'm not I'm not even going to imagine that I'm responding to your question, Rachel, in a way that informs how you're now going to teach your children the Bible. I'm just going to say I don't get into the details and the nitty-gritty of a lot of the stuff that goes on in the Bible with my children. I, When it comes to teaching them, I'll tell them any story. I'll read them any story. But we don't walk away from the story of David and Goliath saying, here's the good guy in the story. Here's the bad guy in the story. Here's what to do with it. We just walk away saying that's what happened or that's what the story said happened and when I'm teaching my children 
I'm trying to teach them the way of Jesus. I'm trying to teach them how to love people and respect people and, and care for people and how to love themselves and respect themselves and how to, you know, not live with crippling guilt and shame for not being good enough. And, like, I don't necessarily need to there to be a one-to-one comparison for when Moses parted the... when Moses used God to... or God used Moses to part the Red Sea and then crashed it in on his enemies and drowned them there... I don't need that to teach my children how to live and how to trust God. Um, that's just a story that we tell, and it's interesting, and I, and I f- still find it compelling and rich and kind of fun um, and, uh, and grotesque and evil and wrong and, like, but name a story that you like that isn't also grotesque and even that doesn't have some real, you know, an antagonist. <laughs> like yeah. the story requires tension. The story requires, I'd hate to keep talking about this because it's so dorky. Cobra Kai is the dorkiest show that I'm in it's love so with. It's so good though. At oh the God. moment. But it is a perfect example though to think like, who's the hero in this? Who am I rooting for? And the answer is like, literally no one i don't think there's anybody i actually like in the show i don't think there's anybody that i'm like if they got everything they wanted then i'd be super pleased and satisfied like i don't want anybody to get everything they want um and i feel very much the same way whenever i read the scriptures uh and and again I, i don't i don't take the approach of trying to teach my children uh the bible as much as i try to teach them how to love um and then you know we read the bible also yeah, and we I mean, apply I, we i think we we need to read the bible through the lens of jesus rather than thinking of the whole bible as teaching us the way of jesus like no the best snippets of jesus teach us the way of jesus <laughs> and then you go back and apply that and you're like wait a second you say love your enemies but then Moses murdered all of his and Joshua murdered all of his and David murdered all of his and Jesus would be like, yeah, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I said, love your enemy. But David murdered uh, Goliath. Yeah, don't. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I I think that's, that's a great, like, that's kind of what I want to say too is I I read to my kids almost every night, um, well, recently we've been doing Mad Libs, and I, but prior to that, Bible Mad Libs, where you just make up the end of the story <laughs> no, yourself. No, these oh. are just these are just regular, regular old pagan Mad Libs. Um, but I read, I read to them Grimm's fairy tales, the original Grimm's fairy. Have, that shit is whack. Have you read Grimm's really? fairy tales? No. They're crazy. They're nothing like what you think they're like. They're just they're they're awful and frightening and wild. <laughs> so, um but like we my kids love them. They're so scary and they're so gruesome. Just unbelievably gruesome the stories that we used to tell. And nobody is like oh, so this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, yeah. that's just not the way we read the stories, right? You read them, and they're interesting, and they're fascinating, and you think about them, and you mull them over in your mind, and then you go to sleep, and you have nightmares about them. And that's it. Like, <laughs> I, nobody does this better uh, with the Bible, I think, than um, Jerome Berryman, who 
uh, invented. Have you heard of Godly Play? As a, uh, he took basically Montessori education principles and reworked them for how we do religious education. And so a lot of uh, churches now, in fact, my church um, has a Godly Play program where we do a version of this. Um, and it's there's a, a a system for how you do it. Um, you can. Jerome Berryman has a book called Godly Play. He also has, uh, that's for like doing it in churches. Um, he also has a book called Stories of God at Home, uh, which takes his his Godly Play principles and gives you some ideas of things that you can do at home with your kids. Um, but the real idea, you don't have to get the book. Uh, you can if you want. But the, the idea is like, we're not here to teach you um, like the Bible is, is not serving the purpose of telling you what to do with your life. The Bible is inviting you into a good story and you're supposed to wonder about it and go, huh, I wonder yeah. what happened with this person. How, yeah. what was he thinking then? How does this make me feel? Ooh, I wonder what that could be. Yeah. Or what, what would I have colors done? colors mean? What yeah, would I we, have done there? We do too yeah. much of the like, what did they do and how can I do that in my life? And not enough of what did they do and what would I have done differently, knowing what I know. Because I know a lot more than David knew. Yeah. I know a lot more than Moses knew. I have a maybe a fuller revelation of God. I, I have a totally different set of circumstances. And, like, yeah, I, if you want pragmatics and you want a way to put yourself in the story, don't look at it and say, what did they do and how can I do the same thing in my life? How can I kill the giants in my life? Instead, look and say... Well, maybe what would I do in the same situation? Yeah. How would I approach the same thing? I love that. I love what you're getting at there. So that's, I mean, that's, it's the same thing that I tell to, to preachers who preach to adults. And I also say it to people who read the Bible to kids. The Bible is a story to be invited into, not to be applied, not a principle to be applied to your life. Yeah. That makes Rachel. a lot of difference. Rachel, thank you so much for this question. We would love to hear, you know, how you think we did there. And uh, and we'd also love to hear, how are you actually doing that? Uh, so anybody that would like to send us an, an email through crisisfaithpodcast.com or leave us a message just saying, hey, I heard this question and, uh, and, and here's what I do with my kids. We might actually be able to share that on the air. Uh, or And also we might change how we approach this with our kids. And maybe Joe will start reading his kids the Bible instead of the Brothers Grimm or whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, thanks for your time today. We really appreciate it. Hope you will subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook, if you're familiar with those, if you ever heard of those. And, uh, and, and yeah, we would love to hear from you. We'll be back with you with a new episode very, very soon. Bible, a letter God wrote with his own hand. Is it a recipe for being holy? Is it the road map to heaven? Preacher, can you help me find the meaning of everything in this book? I'll give you three episodes to cover all you should know from this 10,000 year collection of writings and Ancient languages telling parts of stories written by lots of different people who didn't know they would all be co-authors and never got any royalty check.